on your own, but there's certain lies that all of us believe that can keep us from change. They can keep us from living a transformed life. And so I want to talk about those this morning. So I feel like the first thing we need to do is just expose the lies that are keeping us from changing. And by the way, I just want to give you a little prerequisite here. You all will find yourself somewhere in this message today. And if you don't, you just found yourself in point one whenever we get to it. Okay? So today I want to expose six lies of change. But before I do that, I actually want to tell you what's going on right now around you. Some of you are new believers in this church, or maybe you're young believers and you don't know a whole lot about what's going on and what we're involved in as, as Christians. And so um, when you're a Christian, when you, when you become a Christian, you now get this full-time enemy called Satan. He's a full-time enemy. And, and his go-to weapon is, is lying. The Bible says he's the father of lies. Satan... His only purpose for you is to steal, kill, and destroy the life that God promises you. And he does that by lying to us. And he lies to us, and if he can get us to believe a lie, then he can get us to to fall away from the life that God's promised us. Now, on the flip side of that, if you're a believer and you've given your life to Jesus, you now have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. So there's a lot of things going on, and I just want you to be aware of it, that you got this real-time enemy called Satan, but then you also have this Spirit of God living inside of you. And there's a battle going on. Some of you feel it. It's called stress. Sometimes it, it shows up in anxiety and fear and worry and tension. Are you hearing me? So you've got the Holy Spirit living inside of you, and the Holy Spirit's job is to lead you into all of God's truth. So you got the liar and the truth teller, right? One's living inside of you and the other one's living around you. Now, on the, on the, on, to add to that, you also live in the flesh. And the flesh just loves to do what God says to do. Right? you got this flesh that you're living in. It has all these desires and these, these passions, and it wants, to, it wants to do this, and it wants to do that. And, and so there's this real-time battle going on. you got the enemy, you got the Holy Spirit, and then you got this flesh that you're living in. And, I mean, they're wrestling, and all kinds of things are going on, and you wonder why you come home in a bad mood sometimes. That was just a good way to get the husband off the hook this morning. Maybe it's a spiritual battle. Maybe you need to pray for your husband a little bit more. But that's what's going on. Listen, that's only in in the natural realm. That's just in the natural realm. The Bible talks about a supernatural realm. It's in the Bible where where it's it's, it's called, it's it's in the heavenlies, it's in the principalities, it's in the the air, it's something we can't see. There's a spiritual battle going on in the heavenlies for your soul. It's, it's a warfare between angels and demons and others. You don't believe me? Read your Bible. That's going on in the supernatural. So we got all this stuff to contend with in the natural. And then you got to know and be aware that there's a battle going on in the supernatural. As believers, we need to be aware of what's going on. Right? We can't stay naive and we can't stay even just unaware of what's happening in and around us. That's more reason we need to pray for one another. Right? I mean, ladies, listen, one of, one of your greatest services to your husband is to pray for him. 
Men face battles that women don't face. Men face temptations that women don't face. And vice versa. But we need to pray for one another. As husbands, you need to lay your hands on your wife and your kids before you leave the house in the morning. Why? Because there's a war going on for them. The only thing the devil can do is still kill and destroy. He can't give life to anything. Amen? So that's what's going on around us. I just want you to be aware of it. Hope I didn't freak you out, but it's just real and I got to say it. <laughs> okay? We need to be aware that there's a real battle going on. And so here's some lies. I want to address six lies this morning. Now, there's more lies than this, but I feel like this was the top six that we need to address. And, and I just want you to, as you're listening to this, I want you to open your heart and your mind right now and just ask God to show you where you're at in this thing because I believe every one of us is in one of these points. And so let's jump into it. The first lie that most of us believe is called pride. It's the lie of pride. And that pride fights against humility. Go with me to James chapter 4, starting in verse 1. I'm going to read a lot of scripture today. If you brought your Bible, we're going to knock the dust off of that thing today. Okay? I told the first service, you guys are, are like spoiled brats. Because back in my day, when the preacher said, go to James 4.1, I mean, you heard pages flying, right? How many of you grew up like that, where you heard the pages flying, right? And you never wanted to be the guy who was in the front in the index trying to find the, the book, right? I mean, when I couldn't find a book after a few seconds, I just kind of fake it. I just opened up. Amen, preacher. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. You follow me? So you get to read things on the screen now. So, I, I, you know, anyway, we love you. Verse 1. What is causing the quarrels and the fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you, don't, but you can't get it. So you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. You adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. What do you think the scriptures mean when they say that the spirit God has placed within us is filled with envy? But he gives us even more grace to stand against such evil desires as the scriptures say. Let's stop right there. Pride speaks. You know what it's like when you get around a prideful person, right? They always speak. Who do they speak about? Themselves. I learned a lesson years ago, and I've taught some young guys this, that anytime somebody got to tell you how good they are, they're really not that good. You need to hire the guy that says, you know, I can do okay. Hire that man. Pride speaks. Let's listen to some of the things that pride says. Pride says, I don't need to change. Something else needs to change. Pride says, I got everything under control. I don't need any help. Asking for help is a sign of weakness. Pride says, I'll only change when the other person or situation changes. I'll only ask for help when it benefits me. Pride wants the best of both worlds. And it's always trying to save some image, right? Pride's always trying to to salvage an image. I can't ask for help because it may look like weakness. And most men have a hard time crying because it's seen as a sign of weakness, right? When, when, When the Bible says that even Jesus wept. 
But, but there's this image that we're trying to save. We're trying to salvage an image that honestly, nobody really cares about. Right? Nobody really cares about. You're trying to protect something that don't mean anything. It's called pride. I don't need anybody's help. I got this. Watch the rest of this verse. It says, God opposes the proud, but favors the humble. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you've done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord. And watch this. And he will lift you up in honor. We should never be in the business of lifting ourselves up. The Bible says that if we'll lift Jesus up, he'll lift us up. Right? I should never be trying to lift myself up. I need to stay humble. You know what that means? I need to stay at the feet of Jesus and, and claim that, that I, my dependence is on him. And Lord, I need you. I can't do this by myself. Look at your neighbor and say, you need help. Some of you have been wanting to say that for years. Feels good, doesn't it? You can say it back to him. You do too, buddy boy. You've been waiting to say that for a long time. But the reality is, is this. All of us need help. Real change never happens in our own strength. It only happens in the strength of God. Right? When I, when I just simply humble myself and say, Lord, I need you. In every situation, I need you. You know, pride, pride hits a wall, but, but, but humility finds a way around it. Pride runs into things because the Bible says that God resists the proud. How many of you 2016 felt a little resistant? Anybody? Kind of like you were just trying to paddle a canoe upstream, right? It was a little bit rough. You know what? That could have something to do with pride because God opposes the proud. But watch this. But he gives grace or he gives favor to the humble. Now, how many of you, and I want you, I want you to all answer me this morning. How many of you want the favor of God? Show me your hands. The rest of you, you're lucky all of you raised your hands. How do you get the favor of God? By humbling yourself. Just humbling yourself. As strong as Jesus was, his dependence was on God the Father. He humbled himself. He humbled himself. And we must, we must break the lie of pride by humbling ourselves. Number two, the second lie that, that we sometimes believe, and it comes out like a barrier, is, is guilt and shame. Guilt and shame. <laughs> we battle that with cleanliness. Watch this in Psalms chapter 51. Great psalm to read. Great psalm to study. This is actually the psalm that David wrote right after he committed murder and adultery. David, King David, the man that the Bible says was a man after God's own heart. He committed murder and adultery. And then he was exposed. The prophet came and exposed David. And right after David was exposed, he wrote this psalm. So listen to this letter that David wrote to God. Listen to it. Have mercy on me, O God. 
because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in, the way, in, in what you say. And your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb. Teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit in me. Do not banish me from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to rebels and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God, who saves. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that that my mouth may praise you. You do not desire a sacrifice or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. Watch this, verse 17. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, oh God. That's a humble heart. David, after being exposed of his sin, after being told that that God knows what you did, buddy. David had two choices. David could have ran and hid. Or David could have ran to God. This is a letter showing that David ran to God. This is how we run to God. By crying out to him. Listen, God knew you were going to sin again. He knew you were going to sin again. He knew that's why he sent his son to die on the cross for your past, present, and future sins. That's why Jesus died on the cross. God knew you was going to sin again. He knew you was going to fall again. So he gives us a way to get back up. And he calls us to get back up. This is a picture of a man who got back up. He cried out to God. He humbled himself and cried out to God. He took his sin as his responsibility. You want to know what's crazy is that as soon as we start leaning towards sin, the enemy starts to accuse us. As soon as you start leaning towards something like sin, the enemy starts hollering, hey, hey, y'all look over here. Look, look, look. He's about to do it. Uh-huh, God, look at this. Look, look, at your, look at your man. He's sinning. The Bible says he's the accuser of the brethren. He's looking for an ounce of something to accuse you with. You ever been accused of something? Doesn't feel good, does it? You have an accuser. So Satan is looking for an opportunity to put some mud on you. He's looking for a chance to dirty you up. Just to, just give him a little bit and he's going to come with some mud and he's going to just begin to smear it all over you because he wants you to start believing that what Jesus did for you and you no longer qualify for that. He wants you to believe that when you fall and when you sin that all of a sudden you're automatically disqualified. Jesus' death on the cross can't go more than twice. It's not good for more than two repentances. Right? That's what he wants you to believe. And, the, and then if he can get you to believe that, then he's 
steal, kill, and destroyed your life. You know how many godly people are living in the grave called guilt and shame? My dad abandoned me when I was a kid, left, took off. Didn't come back till he was 18. I guess he felt obligated to be at my high school graduation. Wrecked my life. Walked out again, came back again. Walked out again, came back again. Walked out again, came back again. Finally, one day, God reconciled us, and we had a heart-to-heart conversation. And I asked him, I said, Dad, what kept you from coming back a long time ago? Listen to what he told me. I was too guilty. Guilt stole my relationship with my father. What is it stealing from you? Shame is stealing something from you. Don't let it steal it no more. We're all going to fall. But God gives us a way to get back up. And I believe personally that all of heaven is, is chanting to us when we fall. Come on, man, get back up. Don't stay down. Get up. Look at, look at the way Jesus, I mean, God gives us a way to come out. 1 John 1, 9, you need to memorize this verse, by the way. It says this, but if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us, watch this, from all wickedness. But nothing changes and nothing gets clean until what? Till we confess. David confessed in this psalm. He cried out to God. What have you been carrying that you're ready to let go of? What, what have you been toting along with you? What, what's the junk in your trunk that you need to get rid of? It starts with confession. And the Bible says that he will forgive you. Watch this. And then he's going to cleanse you. If he has to clean you, clean you, then there must be something on you. Right? Clean people don't take a bath. Right? With your sin comes guilt and shame. God changes that with cleanliness. That's not a permission slip to sin. It's not a permission slip. You, you don't need to memorize 1 John 1, 9 so that you can go sin. It's like 1 John 1, 9. And then go sin again. 1 John 1, 9. No, 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 no. It don't work like that. What I'm trying to help you understand is that we're all going to fall. But God gives us a way back up. And we never get up on our own. Right? There's a French proverb. Some of you may have heard this one. It says this, there is no pillow as soft as a clear conscience. You know what that looks like? That looks like when you've been fighting with your wife all night, ain't nobody sleeping. Right? But boy, when you make peace, right? When you humble yourself, you know, after you done stormed out to the living room and told God he needs to fix that woman. And then 20 minutes later, you're on the floor crying in repentance. After that, you sleep good because your conscience is now clear, right? Number three, you getting something yet? The third lie we believe is failure. And failure fights against identity. Anybody ever failed before? Anybody ever been called a failure? Let me say something to you. Failure is never final with God. Failure is never final with God. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Listen to these words. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. 
The old life is gone. The new life has begun. Say it began. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. So watch this. When you give your life to Jesus, you become a new creation. In other words, the old life is gone. All your past failures, all your past stupidity, all your past mistakes, all your past rebellion. It's gone, baby. And you get this new life. And you don't even look like you're excited about it. I mean, you need to come preach to you right now. You're like. You've been given a new life. Your old life has been gone. It's been taken away. Now you've got this new life that's beginning. Listen to me. You weren't made perfect when you gave your life to Jesus. Your, your new life has begun, the Bible says. Your new life, listen to me, is in process. It's in process. But it shouldn't be the same as it was a while back. Right? Your new life should be growing. In other words, you should be better than you used to be. You should be more alive than you used to be. You should be more spirit-filled and faith-filled than you used to be. You should have more confidence and boldness than you used to have. Amen? Why? Because this new life has begun. And God is faithful to finish the work that he starts in us. Some of us get stuck with failure. And we let past failures determine our future or the lack thereof. You've all blown it, but you all have a chance to get back up. You've made mistakes. You've done wrong. You've hurt people. You've fallen. God's plans for us are greater than our failures. Don't let your failures become your finale. Let me give you, let me clear up your identity real quick because identity is what fights against failure. Because you see, when we, when we get hung up in failures because we don't know who we are in Christ. You follow me? You see, what, what is sad is that the, the, a person gives their life to Jesus. They, they, they now become a Christian. But if they're not taken and, and taught what that means, then they never get to receive what their identity is in Christ. So they just know, well, I'm a Christian. Well, what does that mean? I, I don't know. I just go to church. I got this little tingling feeling in my heart. I just go to church. But you never get to learn who you are in Christ. That's why we have next step. Next step is for new believers and people that want to become members of the church. By the way, that starts today. That's my little plug. Right after service. But it's because we don't know who we are. In Romans, the Bible says that those that are led by the spirit of God are now sons and daughters of God. It says that we've been adopted into his family. That's good news, right? That I've been adopted into God's family. It gets better. Now I become a joint heir with Christ. (laughs) You know what that means? That means that anything Jesus receives from God the Father is available for me also. We are joint heirs. In other words, we're together as heirs of the throne of God. And God's not a stingy God. Think about that. I am a joint heir with Christ. That ought to change the way you're living right now. It ought to change the way you're thinking right now. Because you see, when you fully understand it, you don't go back to your old ways. 
Because you realize I'm royalty. God sees me differently than I see myself. So your new identity is a son or a daughter. Your new position is an ambassador. And your new mission is reconciliation. That's all right there in 2 Corinthians. He says, so we are Christ ambassadors. God's making his appeal through you. You see, the reason you got to get past your failures is because God wants to reach more people. He wasn't stopping with you. You're great and all the heavens rejoicing, but they're like, come on, baby, we got to get some more. Right? I mean, you've heard me share this before. I want to get to heaven one day and I walk in and I see all the people that I was able to lead to Christ. And we give each other high five. What's up, bro? Yeah, chest bump. Boom. Ah, you made it. Woo. I was sweating you, bro. Right? I mean, come on. That's the way I see it. And maybe one of them will look at me and say, you know what? I'm glad you didn't stay in your failures. I'm glad you got past your mistakes. I'm glad you didn't let the enemy hold you down any longer. Because of you and Christ in you, I can spend eternity in heaven. You know, that's going to be a real event. You know, that's going to really happen. You know, there's people dying for you to get up off the ground and get past yourself. People dying for you to get up. Don't let the enemy keep you down. (laughs) Just a little something to add to that. Some of you this morning need to learn to forgive yourself. You know, that's one of the hardest things to do is to forgive ourselves from our past failures. Jamie Tyler is Jamie Tyler's worst enemy. Nobody can be Jamie like Jamie does. Jamie knows exactly where to hit Jamie at. When Jamie fails, he feels stupid. And Jamie beats himself up. He hangs his head. My pastor knows me. Anytime I've made a mistake or done something stupid, I just, for some reason, I try not to do this, but I just, my head drops. And he goes, pick your head up. I can beat myself up. You know, the hardest thing for me to do is to forgive myself. It's one of the hardest things I ever have to do is forgive myself. But you know what? If God can forgive me, then I should be able to forgive myself. Amen? That's number three. Number four. Here we go. Fear. Fear is the fourth lie that some of us believe. And fear, we battle fear with faith. Go with me to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. Towards the back of the book for all of you that are thumbing through your Bibles. I'm just jealous this morning because I got a flip and you don't. 1 John chapter 4. Look at verse 15. Fear versus faith. All who confess, say all, that Jesus is the Son of God, have God living in them. What? What you said? All who confess Jesus... Have God living on the inside of them. We had a great time Wednesday night for our our first Wednesday night service. Taught a message about 
we are God's manifest presence in the world today. That when you give your life to Jesus, the spirit of God comes to live inside of you. And according to this verse, God is living inside of you. And if we'll ever understand that and believe that and flip a switch, then we'll realize that everywhere I go, God goes. That means when I work at Walmart, God's in Walmart. I'm God's manifest presence in Walmart. When I'm digging a ditch, I'm God's manifest presence. When I'm digging a ditch, when I'm raising my kids, I'm God's manifest presence while raising my kids. I wish I had a stick that I could just beat that in this morning because I'm telling you, when we realize that, when I realize that, I live differently. I think differently. Watch this. I react differently. When people throw stones at me, I don't just throw them right back. Right? When people hurt me, I don't hurt them right back. Wait at least 10 minutes. (laughs) Joking. Don't take that note. (laughs) But if we'll ever realize that God is living inside of me. You want me to read some more of that verse? Or is that enough? All who confess that Jesus is the son of God have God living in them and they live in God. We know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in his love. God is love and all who live in love live in God and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment because but we can we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. How do we live like Jesus here in this world? When we live out of the love that God has for us. Amen. God is, I'm sorry, such love has no fear. But perfect love expels all fear. Say perfect love. None of us have ever been loved with perfect love. Until we've experienced the love of the Father. Only God can love with perfect love. You can't even love your kids with perfect love. Only God can. Are you you hearing me? And until you experience God's perfect love, you really haven't experienced much in life, right? So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such a love has no fear. Perfect love expels all fear. How do you beat fear? With perfect love. If we are afraid, it's for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he loved us first. The opposite of fear is perfect love. Only place to find that is in God. John tells us that if we're walking in fear, it's because we haven't experienced God's perfect love. I'm going to try to see if I can make this make sense. When you experience God's perfect love, it casts out fear. In other words, fear can't stay where God's perfect love is. Right? So when you experience it, how do you experience God's love? You just got to let him love you. You got to realize all that he's done for you. You got to understand what he's done for you and why he's done it for you. But really, you just got to open up your heart and say, Lord, I want to fill me with your love. And I promise you this, he will come in and he will overwhelm you with his love. It'll break the hardest man down. I've seen it happen time and time again. 
God's perfect love. When you experience that, fear has to leave. Why? Because when you experience perfect love, you realize that he loves you so much that no matter what happens to you, he's still in control and he's still going to take care of you. It's the kind of love that's always there. It's the kind of love that will always pick you up. It's the kind of love that will protect you and provide for you when nobody else will. That's the perfect love of God. So when God says to you in your quiet time, when you're meeting with Jesus in the morning, he says, I want you to go to Africa. And you say, do what? I'm from Mamu. I don't even know where Africa's at. He says, no, I want you to go to Africa. And instead of being full of fear, if you've experienced his love and know that he has something great for you in Africa, then you step out into that because you trust him that his way is greater than your way. Right? And and then all you have to do is, is start doing the natural. God says to go to Africa, you just begin to do the natural part. What's your part? Just do what's natural. Book a ticket. You might ought to find somebody in Africa that you need to go meet, but we can help you up. We can hook you up with some folks in Africa. But you, you, need, to, you need to do the natural. Step out into the natural. And when you do that, God comes in and puts the super on your natural. Is this making sense? Don't be afraid. Fear keeps us back. Faith steps out, fear steps back. Faith is what caused Peter, a regular old fisherman, to walk on water. But fear was what kept everybody else in the boat. (laughs) Number five. Control. The lie of control. You got to control it, baby. I hate this point, I'll be honest with you. Because it's me. We took a a freedom group, a freedom life group, this past semester, the the fall semester, through a a freedom course over nine weeks. And at week nine, we went to this uh, encounter retreat in Mandeville at one of our other churches. And it was a weekend where we just, we addressed things that are holding us in bondage and they pray for you and they got this whole team that prays for you. And so they strategically teach each little lesson and then you pray over those things as the Holy Spirit convicts you. So my wife and I are leading the life group. So I'm thinking, you know, we're bringing all these people for God to touch them. Because, you know, we got it together, right? Thanks for not saying amen. So, so we go down there. Now, I was, I've been praying for two, three weeks for everybody in my group. They, Lord, touch this one and touch that one. Lord, touch that one. Praying that God was going to do something incredible. You know, I'm thinking, I'm already done. I've been to several of these. I'm good. We get there and we get into the second session and boom, the Holy Spirit punches me in the nose. Not really, but he did. And he goes, you got it because they were teaching on control. I'm like, I ain't got no control issues. I done prayed about that. Holy Spirit said, you got control issues. He said, no, bro, you crazy. Ain't got no control issues. Oh, you crazy. Yes, you do. No, I don't have control issues. Yes, you do. I said, how? Holy Spirit said, when you can't control it, you don't participate. Broke me in half because it was nothing but truth. I was one of the first guys to get up and go get prayed for. Because I realize that I have control issues. 
And I've laid it at the cross. And I'm believing God it's all done this time. But it may not be. I may take it back up again. But that was my issue. I trust God in many ways. I've done, my wife and I have done great things in faith and seen God do great things. But there was a certain area that I wasn't trusting him with. I felt like I needed it to be in control. Some people have control issues because they've been hurt in the past. Right? They've been taken advantage of. Maybe they've been abused. Maybe they've been treated harshly. Maybe, maybe somebody left them and abandoned them and they were hurt. And so now because of that pain that they experienced, they want to now control everything so they can control if they're going to receive pain again or not. You, you following with me? Most people are like that. They, they, they control things because they don't want to hurt again. Then the rest of us are like me. You just want to control things because you think your way's better. Right? Anybody else like me? You don't need to raise your hand. We just think our ways are better. Look at Proverbs chapter 3. Starting in verse 5. Watch this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do and he will show you which path to take. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Then you will have the healing for your body and strength for your bones. (laughs) Don't be impressed with yourself. (laughs) You ain't all that. I used to thought I was I used to think I was all that and a bag of chips. I used to think I could dress myself. I used to think I was God's gift to women till I met my wife. And she quickly made me realize I'm not God's gift to women. And I'm not able to dress myself. The only time I get a compliment is when my wife or now Jessica buys me a shirt. Everybody, y'all like my shirt? Jessica bought it for me. Glenn helped her out, but it was really Jessica. I know what really happened. You follow me? I'm not all that. But I am a son of God. I am a joint heir with Christ. I just got to keep it balanced, right? I got to keep it in the right spot. So don't be impressed with yourself and learn to let go. We control because we don't trust and we don't trust because we haven't experienced God's perfect love. Control thinks it can guarantee a better outcome. <laughs> you battle control with trust. Verse, I mean, number six, last point. Is the lie of laziness. What's funny is lazy is a word that'll get you in a fight today. Call somebody lazy. I dare you to go to work tomorrow and call the first person you see lazy and see if you don't end up in a fight. It's like a cuss word today. I mean, people get so defensive about the word lazy. I personally don't like it because I know I'm not lazy. But when people call me, I'm like, I ain't lazy. But it's a cuss word. And people are afraid to use the word lazy today. They use excuses. But the reality is, and before you get mad and want to throw a punch at me, let's look at what the Bible says about laziness. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 26. Lazy people irritate their employers like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes. 
Proverbs 20, verse 4. Those too lazy to plow in the right season will have no food at the harvest. Look at Proverbs 26. This is several of them back to back. This is God's word, y'all. It ain't me, so don't get mad at me. Watch this. Verse 13. That's Isaiah. Wait, one book too much. 26, verse 13. The lazy person claims there's a lion on the road. Yes, I'm sure it's a lion out there. They make excuses. As the door swings back and forth on its hinges, so the lazy person turns over in bed. Lazy people take food in their hand, but don't even lift it to their mouth. Lazy people consider themselves smarter than seven wise counselors. Laziness talks. It says this. I'll get to it later. I got plenty of time. Laziness says I might do more damage than I do good. Laziness says somebody else is going to get it. It'll get done. Laziness says I'm waiting on the conditions to be just right. Laziness says I need this or that before I can do anything. Watch this. This is my favorite part. Because lazy people are good at excuses, right? They're good at giving excuses. Well, watch this. They're very good at receiving excuses. You see, because all of us can receive the excuses that the enemy gives us. Oh, well, you know, you've been, you've been working hard lately. You need to treat yourself to an extra bowl of bluebell. You've been really working hard. I received that in a heartbeat. I mean, that's like, that's like the, the crankbait, and I'm the bass, baby. It's just like, you follow me? Lazy people make excuses, and they receive excuses constantly. The older I get, the more I'm realizing I've given too many people excuses. I've tapped at them for too long. It's getting to be these days when people say, oh, you know, Pastor, I've been busy, man. You know, I've been doing this. I've been doing that. And I go, mm-hmm. So is everybody else. You got another excuse? (laughs) Lazy people. You know, what's funny is most of us are good at our jobs. We're not real lazy when it comes to jobs and things that we want. But you know, the reality that I've learned is that most people are lazy in Christianity or lazy in ministry. I'm going to bust your bubble here for a second. Most people in the church are lazy. What, what does that look like? That looks like they give every excuse in the book not to go teach some kids, every excuse in the book not to park some cars, every excuse in the book not to get into a life group, every excuse in the book not to go do an outreach for somebody. Every excuse in the book. Oh, you know, Pastor, I, mean, I, I don't know if I can get up that early. What? You mean to tell me you can't get up an hour earlier to get your tail over here to the church and then God's giving you a whole room full of kids, the next generation that you can influence and you can't get up early? You ain't going to like me after this. But it's true. Christians are lazy. There's not many people knocking on my door saying, Pastor, what else can I do? I don't get those text messages. 
I don't get those phone calls. Most of the time, we're chasing you down. I still love you. But we got lazy people in the church. And they want to see change in their life and they want to experience God and I want to be more spiritual and I want to get closer to God. But you never want to get off the sofa and and get close to God yourself. That's the reality. The way we fight laziness is with passion. Look at what Romans says. Chapter 12. Some of you going, about time he moved on. (laughs) Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Are you hearing the words? Enthusiasm and eagerness. (laughs) You know, passions never created on the sofa. You never get more passion sitting on the couch. You know where we get passion from? Watch this. We get passion when we step into what God's called us to do and we realize that I'm God's vessel that he's going to use to change something or to change somebody's life. And you start to move in that thing and you start, let's say it's OSC kids. You step into OSC kids and you go, Jessica, you're a perfect example of this. Jessica stepped into OSC kids not long after being saved. She's one of the greatest rainforest girls we have. And she's full of passion. She's got creative ideas. You know how she discovered that? When she stepped in. When you step in and you change somebody's life and God uses you, it creates this passion inside of you that you can't get on the sofa. When you're there with somebody, I was there with Billy when his aunt was dying. I went there. They called me to go pray for his aunt. I drive to Church Point. We go. I sit down with his aunt. And, I'm tra- and she, she was supposed to be Catholic. And I, I'm trying to lead her to Jesus. She's like, I already am. I'm like, well, what the heck am I here for? I pray for healing. I didn't realize it. But Billy got there 20 minutes before I did and led his own aunt to the Lord. She gave her life to Jesus. And was it two days later she died? That creates passion inside of you. That creates an urgency. You go, you know what? Some people are only two, two days away from eternity. And I need to do something about it. Passion says, what's next? Passion says, what can I do? Passion says, what else can I do? That's what passion says. Passion hunts down opportunities. Laziness dodges them. <laughs> 